All right, good citizens of Crypt Nation. It is Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind here coming at you from San Diego, as always. It is the week of Christmas, so we just finished up Christmas. And Pete, why don't you go ahead and tell us what went down in your neck of the woods? I had a terrible, terrible Christmas because... Well, I got lots of cash. I got no Bitcoin. <laughs> I feel like I'm a complete failure to my family and friends. Such a Grinch. But <laughs> 2020 will be better, and we're kicking it off with the Crypto 2020 Summit. So if you have not signed up yet, go to Crypto2020Summit.com right now and do so. We have over 60 speakers, and we'll be adding and announcing more even starting next week. So get in there. You do not want to miss it. Yeah, it's going to be gnarly. Me and Pizza Mine are conducting, uh, are conducting all these interviews, and they're not going to actually ever appear on the podcast. So the only way you'll be able to see these 60 exclusive interviews is if you go sign up for the Crypto 2020 Summit, and we cover all things 2020, different market trends, different uh, technological trends, what to look out for during the Bitcoin halvening, um, and a lot of fun stuff. So you guys, it's a can't, you, it's a can't miss event. Especially because it's free. Yeah. And it's online. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere. That's the craziest part. You know, people will sign up for the event and they'll email me and they'll be like, wait, I just signed up for this event for free. You know, where is it? And I'm like, did you not read the website? It says it's online. Watch from the comfort of your own home. Uh, So that was one of the things that we're really excited about, too. Yes. So moving forward, uh, holidays is usually a very exciting time for crypto. Not so much right now yeah pete why don't you kick us off with the market weather report what are you seeing these days i'm seeing a lot of boring movement um stagnation baby stagnation <laughs> i i really really thought we were going to jump up to 8k by uh, new year doesn't still look time like there's still time but it doesn't look like it's going to happen it i'll looks take the like, other uh, side of the bet i'll take the other side of that bet i i think we will still Interesting. Interesting. I haven't completely given up hope, <laughs> but I'm definitely biting my nails down to nubs. That's for sure. Yeah, they were already nubs. Yeah, you can tell what uh, two years of bear market have done. Just look at my fingers. <laughs> yeah, guys, I'm kind of seeing the same thing as Pete's. It's been boring. We've stopped the bleeding, however. Um, we went back down to 6.5K, went up to around 8K, came back down to about 6.5K, and that level has held um and that's the key level right we've talked about it time and time again that 6500 was the most actively traded price point in bitcoin for the last three years um so what does that mean it means that there's a lot of interest at that level it means you know that's a fair you know the market is saying that's a pretty fair value buyers and sellers are coming together they're negotiating with one another um and that's where the market has had a volume volume weighted average price that was the heaviest. So the fact that that is holding up uh, to the upside, right, for the buyers, it's a pretty good sign. And even on the way up through it, um, at the beginning of the year in April and May, you know, that 6,500 level didn't show any signs of resistance, meaning, you know, sellers weren't present. We just ripped through it. So I think that we're going to really, really hold 6,500. And if we don't, um, that's going to be really bad. Uh, I would not be surprised to see us retest the lows of 2018 um, down at 3,500-ish. But again, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, guys, sentiment, I mean, is at an all-time low. We see Twitter engagement 
all the way down uh, across the board for different, you know, we're, we've been using the tie.io slash charts um, to see what Twitter, uh, you know, hashtags are for, you know, BTC and for Ethereum and for Binance or whatever. And, you know, people just aren't really interested in the market anymore. Um, people are panicking. I think a lot of people were overextended and overinvested. So we're seeing some forced selling into the hands of, you know, who's there to uh, pick it up is the long-term players who, you know, could have managed their risk and could dollar cost average uh, into a strong long position. Uh, even in the altcoins, bro, we've seen really, really mild price action. So I, I guess kind of in that same vein, we might as well just jump over to hot or not uh, where we've had, again, nothing super duper exciting uh, coming in at number one uh, this week for the hottest token. We just had a, we just actually had Alex Mashinsky on the show two or three episodes ago, uh, Celsius network. And they came in at a pretty hefty 59% pop this week, uh, putting them at a $37 million market cap. We're definitely going to have to include that in our sponsor desks from now on, just showing the evidence of what happens when your CEO comes on our podcast. Hey, you know, we, we could very well uh, have played a role in that. <laughs> we might be the only news still going right now. It could be. <laughs> uh, we have Maxim Anyone out there. Yeah. <laughs> we have Maximine, uh, one of Pizza Mine's least favorite coins, but they pumped That's 58%. Right. They did. Maybe I need to get over my ethical crisis and start making some profits. <laughs> Less ethics, more profits. You heard it here first by Pizza Mind. No, we're just kidding. Uh, but that has a $29 million market cap. All fake. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably all fake uh, market cap. Speaking of which. We have Luna coming in at $57 million market cap, and they were up 27%. Pete, why don't you go ahead and tell us about some of the losers? Well, losers are definitely... Uh, some pretty decent projects, which is even more dejecting. You know, there's still a lot of good stuff being built out there, but the market cap does not reflect that. This week's biggest loser is Factum, coming in at negative 25%. Ouch. Yeah, and, and Factum used to be one of the only coins offered on Poloniex's margin and lending desk. Um, for years and years and years, and they've got a you know really robust team, really solid solid group of guys, and you know it's been around for a long time. And just recently, uh, you know Poloniex is under some new ownership. We'll talk about that later in the episode. And they just delisted Factum for no you know apparent reason. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, Poloniex is making some waves. They're about the only <laughs> ones right now. Hedera Hashgraph lost almost as much, twenty four and a half percent as there's been a lot of fear that these new tokens are being unlocked and early founders, early investors are getting these massive uh, tokens that they are now vesting, but Hedera's management is asking them to take a further delay to not smash their market cap even further. Yeah, and this is one of those really interesting uh, scenarios where, you know, Hedera Hashgraph, you know, guys, we've had Mance Harmon on the show before. He's going to speak at the 2020 Summit. This is a legitimate project. They've got guys like IBM uh, that are working with them. Very, very solid team. Uh, and it's funny because they raised $100 million, and the token is trading at about a $21 million market cap. So sometimes you'll hear, 
you know, stocks or, um, you know, companies that are trading below their cash value. This is kind of one of those circumstances where Hedera Hashgraph, their HBAR token, it could be an extremely good buy uh, at these levels, considering they have more money in the bank than the token itself is worth uh, on the market. So that's just something interesting to note. Yeah, that is a really interesting thing to note because it's usually the opposite after oh, yeah. two years of a bear market. Yeah, usually it's like, you know, they raise $100 million and then, you know, these things are worth a few billion dollars. And this is just, you know, kind of an extenuating circumstance. And we'll have to see how it develops. But like Pizza Mind said, you know, they had an interesting style raise, all these uh, coins that were formerly locked up, kind of like restricted shares, right, in the stock market. Um, they're now all hitting the market and people are just selling down market sell, market sell, market sell. Um, and there's just not enough buy side liquidity, um, you know, in any of these tokens, let alone one that has a big flood of supply coming in on the market. So just bad timing for, for the guys over at Hashgraph. And then who was the biggest loser? Or I guess the, the third biggest loser. The third biggest loser is GoChain at negative okay. 22.7%. Down at a $10 million or $10.5 million market cap today. Um, yeah, GoChain, they've got an interesting partnership with Dish, actually, I remember, uh, Dish Network. So that's, that could also be another good buy, uh, as you know, you know, more people start to get interested in crypto in the next year or two, people will look towards projects that have legitimate partnerships and, you know, uh, partnerships really with companies that are in the fortune 500 and stuff like that. And at a $10 million valuation, uh, for GoChain, that could be a really good, interesting buy. So, is Dish Network still around? They are, believe it or not, they are still oh my around. God. <laughs> After seeing all the prices of TVs at Best Buy the other day, I started to wonder if anyone even watched TV anymore. Well, they're actually, you know, they're moving into the whole IoT space in 5G, um, and they have a, a whole network of satellites and stuff. So they're not really focusing on you know building out their uh, cable business your cable tv business anymore they're they're focusing on iot internet connected devices all sorts of stuff like that so i'm actually pretty bullish on on dish going forward in 2020 interesting and they got a great blockchain arm too i had dinner with those guys once no kidding yeah all right we'll have to keep dish on our watch list Do you have a friend who's interested in getting into cryptocurrency, but they don't know where to start building their portfolio? Well, we have the answer. It's called CopyTrader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders, just like myself or Bryce or Kevin, at the exact price point and in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply just sign up and copy our trades. Any profits that we make, you do too. Proportional to your investment, of course. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Uh, Let's move on to Fire Tweets. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our first Fire Tweet is from Dan Hannum, at dhannum8. And he says, real wealth is not about money. Real wealth is not having to go to meetings, not having to spend time with jerks, not being locked into status games, not feeling like you have to say yes, not worrying about others claiming your time and energy. Real wealth is about freedom. Man, and I couldn't agree anymore. 
when I was uh, 22, I dropped out of college and I decided I wanted to be a drifter because I didn't want to have to deal with any of this stuff that was just mentioned by Dan. I just wanted to be free. And all of my wealth has come in love and friendships that have allowed me to be free. Even yeah. now, after I've invested in crypto, all my wealth is still in love and friendships. <laughs> so there you go. Well said, Dan. What's our well, next one, Bryce? Yeah. So we have uh, this great quote by a guy named Dan Popescu, and his handle is at P-O-P-E-S-C-U-C-O, Popescu Co. Okay. Interesting name. Regardless, I thought this one was extremely powerful because it had uh, some images attached to it as well that I wish you guys could see. But to give you guys some preface here before I say the quote, you know, the picture was a long, long, long line of people outside of a store looking to buy gold. Um, and so he says, Germans are queuing at Degusa store to buy gold in Köln, which is a city in Germany. From January 1st, 2020, the limit to buy gold anonymously drops from 10,000 pounds, sorry, 10,000 euro to 2,000 euro. And only two years ago, the limit was 15,000 euro. So guys, what this is saying is that it is getting, you know, gold is getting more and more scarce. You can't buy gold anonymously, you know, only a fifth, you could only buy a fifth of it um, of what you could buy in that 2019. So they're trying to lock up a little bit more of the supply of gold. Uh, and why are people trying to buy gold and why would people want to try and buy gold? And why is the price of gold rising similarly to the price of Bitcoin in the long term? It's because it's a hedge against a negative inflation or negative interest rates and B against inflation in the form of money printing. And so, you know, this a similar thing happened, although much more radically uh, in the 1930s, you know, Executive Order 6102 from FDR, President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt issued this executive order that said it was illegal to hold, uh, you know, gold bullion and gold bars in excess of a certain amount of money, like 10,000 bucks or something. And, you know, when, when markets and when worlds and economies go through, you know, financial shock and we realize there's too much, too much credit in the system and too much easy money, uh, people flock to commodities and other assets like like gold because you know you can't inflate the supply of gold. You know it has a very very um, hard you know it's very hard to make more gold. Um, so yeah, so it's a very interesting to see in real uh, real world scenario that's happening right now where the limit to buy gold is dropping. So keep an eye out for that trend, um, and it might even be happening in America or other countries. Um, as we know, Deutsche Bank is failing miserably. Um, you know, one of my bold predictions for 2020 is that Deutsche Bank goes belly up, and that's going to have a cataclysmic uh, ripple effect throughout the entire the entire world. Um, and hopefully, we can mitigate all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, there, we're going to need some blast shields because it's it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting year. Um, but enough on gold and the limit. Uh, dropping from 10,000 euro to 2,000 euro in Germany. What, round us up here, Pete. What's, what's the last uh, fire tweet? Our last tweet from this week is from John Bacchus, at Bacchus, B-A-C-K-U-S. And he says he's thinking about the intersection of these two quotes. The first one being, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. 
And the second quote is, sometimes magic is just someone spending more time on something than anyone else might reasonably expect. And this is a quote from Teller, from Penn and Teller, the famous Vegas magicians. And I would take that even a step further and say that science is magic very, very well understood. Mm. So there's really no difference. Magic is just things that science has not figured out how to explain simply yet. Hmm. I like that. And some it, like in this last part of the quote that you just said, like sometimes magic is just someone spending more time on something than anyone else might expect. I think about, you know, all the guys like, you know, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, um, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world where, you know, you interact with their products and it feels like magic. You're like, man, this just, it works. I could get anything I want anywhere in the world, you know, the next day, or we're now sending, you know, people to Mars and we got the whole world at our fingertips. All these things just seem so magical, but it, it, it took great men to dedicate their entire lives uh, to one small little, uh, you know, one, one thing essentially. So, you know, that's, that's another form of magic that I see. And, and it kind of also like what we're building here at crypto one Oh one is like, you know, you, me and the guys behind the scenes, like we're trying to create magic, you know, we're spending so much time more than any, anyone might reasonably expect on building out, you know, crypto info products and writing books and, you know, conducting podcasts and stuff like that's also another, you know, when, you know, when the bull market comes and, you know, our viewership and everything goes crazy, um, people might think, you know, we got lucky or it was just magic, but we just spent more time and outworked everybody else in the industry doing what we're trying to do. 100%. And I think the best way to display that is when things just look like it's coming easy. Mm. And they say, oh, you know, this is easy now and it's no longer a hard thing. Well, why? Because... A bunch of guys, and not just us at Crypto 101, but all across the podcast space and the info product space, worked when there was no benefit to make sure that there would be benefit later and that it could be easy to spend and get involved in crypto. Mm -hmm. So all this work that is being done now is the most important work. Laying the groundwork, absolutely. Yep. So in, this, in today's segment of Scorched Earth, this one really... You know, they all generally hit home, but this one really hit home. Excuse me. I'll reset that. This one really hit home uh, because YouTube and Google uh, started axing crypto channels with zero explanation beyond uh, a little notice that says, you know, you violated some type of terms uh, in regards to, you know, uh, promoting or marketing potential securities. And, you know, I, I was looking at some... Uh, Twitter feeds, for instance, from Alex Saunders. He was like, I have a mortgage. I have a wife and kids. You know, this is my business. You know, I generate my entire livelihood through my YouTube channel. The fact that some centralized platform could arbitrarily come through on a random day, granted, it was the day before Christmas as well, like to make it all worse, um, and just say, hey, we're just going to shut down your business. Um, it just really highlighted the extreme danger of a centralized authority like YouTube that if they're, you know, it's a, it's censorship, it's, it's completely wrong. And it cost a lot of people, a, a lot of money and a lot of stress. And it also just showed that, you know, at the end, you know, YouTube and centralized services are a single point of failure that we should not be building platforms on. 
And this comes right back to why Ethereum was created as a dApps platform. Bingo. Because developers were having the same problem getting through on these app stores, saying we're subjected to all these rules and crazy fees from Apple if we want to have our application listed. And it's just not fair. So YouTube finally, after a few days and Christmas passes, says, oops, all this stuff was flagged in error by an algorithm. We're going to restore all these channels and video contents. Yeah, they really had to save face. Yeah, they had to save face. And maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's the honest truth that they've relied so much on automation and technology. There's actually no one's finger on the trigger anymore. And no one's even watching until 3,000 emails of complaint come pouring in. I don't know what the worst scenario is. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm like, I'm super curious to, to see exactly how something like that, like a mistake of that magnitude couldn't have been purely automatic. It must have been some guy from the top in Google uh, saying, you know, because, you know, Google owns YouTube. A lot of people don't really know that, but saying that, you know, we gotta we gotta clamp down on some of the YouTube or some of the crypto stuff, and some guy set in motion some type of algorithm. But you know what was funny was I saw the volumes uh, on you know decentralized media streaming. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Platforms, the, the volumes of their coins on exchanges actually start to skyrocket. You know, there's BitTube, which is another, um, you know, decentralized meeting platform and library. So they, uh, library.io, lbry.io. And I tweeted at them. I was like, you guys got to ride this momentum because right now there's a lot of, you know, heat on YouTube from the crypto community and, you know, ride this momentum and play it up and start marketing because it, it's a perfect use case, and a perfect example of the problem that you library are trying to solve. So they, they tweeted back. They said, yeah, and then a bunch of links to their stuff. But it was a very interesting weekend. But here's the bigger problem. Let's say all of crypto. YouTube migrates to library or BitTube or, or both. Mm -hmm. How are those platforms going to come anywhere close to providing the compensation that YouTube does? They're not. How are these videos on these other platforms going to generate as much traffic? They're not because they're, they only have a tiny, tiny little fraction of the user base. Yeah. You have to make content where people are searching for it. And even in Google search engines, they're going to put up YouTube video results before any other streaming site. So the game is rigged and it's a lot more complicated than just simply saying, okay, we're going to move to a decentralized platform. Fuck you, YouTube. <laughs> no, you know, the hooks are in a lot deeper than that. And I completely agree a hundred percent, all those points. Um, and I don't even want to, I'll just add like a counterpoint uh, in so far as, you know, when the internet was first started, uh, you know, nobody, you know, people were like, oh, why am I going to use email? Like, that doesn't make sense. I have the post office. You're telling me I need to go buy a computer, which nobody else has. I need to go, you know, get an internet connection, which nobody else has. You know, it could be 94 and there's a few million people 
out of a few billion people. So you're like, okay, then I got to go learn how to use an email software program. And then I, there's all these things. And they're just like, it's not, it's not feasible. Kind of like the same way that, you know, YouTube as the incumbent, similar to how the post office was the incumbent that got disrupted. Um, it takes a long time for these processes to turn over and for people to get comfortable with new technology. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think library is going to take over, you know, the 800 pound gorilla that is YouTube and Google uh, who own the internet. But over time, um, I think as more of these problems happen, uh, people will wake up to it and they'll realize the convenience and, you know, uh, the more than the convenience, you know, I think, you know, price appreciation of the, library token for instance or the BitTube token will also come to attract more people so it's going to be a big combination of things and that's also to your last point about like you know of course you're not going to be able to make as much money on YouTube because there's not viewers and stuff but that's also where the utility token uh, speculation does come and play a part I would say yeah definitely and while we say that Google is the internet that's only the known internet mm. And that's the perception that we have, and the perception is value and all this stuff. However, the truth is, and you can look this up, there's stats everywhere, over 90% of the internet is not found on Google. Google does not have an, even a tiny grasp of control on the internet. Hmm. There, there are so many things going on outside of it. We don't even need Google, but we do need some way of discovering these things, either through DuckDuckGo or there needs to be another type of search engine or index like Yahoo originally was that will allow us to find the rest of this 90% and be able to drive traffic to things like library and BitTube and all these other amazing things that are being built. And then we need to take AOL's approach and net zero's approach and start leaving these things in stores and striking deals with all kinds of retail shops to leave flyers there. I mean, that's how AOL grew. They just left their discs everywhere. <laughs> I remember those things. Yeah, we would use them as frisbees all the time and like try and shoot them with BB guns. It was like <laughs> skeet shooting when we were kids. But we knew what AOL was. Yeah, it's very true. And now people are waking up to, you know, what cryptocurrency is and stuff too. So in the same way, you know, I like to try and spread the word no matter where. Like I like to wear my Bitcoin shirts, hand out stickers, all that kind of stuff. Talk to people like over the weekend uh, or over the week, I was back home with some of my buddies uh, from college and, you know, everybody's catching up about what they're doing and they know I'm in crypto and all that kind of stuff. And they're all telling me, Oh, well, get me set up with a wallet, but also tell me like, what am I doing? Why do I care? You know, what's in it for me? Asking all the basic questions. How does it work? And so I set up my buddy with uh, with a trust wallet, super easy. Um, got him to understand all that kind of stuff. And then for lunch, I just paid him in crypto. He's like, all right, cool. And, uh, I sent him some Tezos, uh, and so for the record, let's see how much those uh, $30 worth of Tezos, you know, it was last week, or, or sorry, it was, yes, you know, it was Friday, December 27th or whatever, um, you know, maybe next year, this might be the most expensive lunch uh, I've ever had, if those 25 uh, or $30, $30 worth of Tezos uh, moons, so. Yeah, I can't believe you gave him Tezos, man, you're an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> I, want, I, I, I did it to, to prove a point, like in a sense, you know, instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I'm in crypto, but here's, here's my Venmo account. Right. I wanted to I show him like, hey, you could just set up this app. You don't need a bank account. You don't need an identity. You don't need anything. You just need your 12 words, your private key, essentially. Um, and you could accept payments from anybody anywhere in the world instantly. 
Um, and that's super cool. And he was like, Oh, I don't need, what do you mean? My bank account isn't connected. What do you mean? They don't need my identity, but is it money? Yeah, it's money. And so he was just like having all these cool ideas and then, or like cool, what's it called? Like epiphanies. Right. And then slowly, but surely the bull market's going to kick off and he's going to say, Oh my God, that $30 worth of Tezos you got me the other day or the other week, the other month, whatever it's, it's worth triple. It's worth, or it's worth, you know, quadruple. And then he'll realize the power of, you know, a store of a cryptographic store of value um, in a medium of exchange. So, and it'll just continue to, uh, you know, probably pour money in. So I think that it's something that everybody who's in crypto right now has a duty, a sworn duty to do is to dish out crypto to your friends instead of cash and get them interested. A, you're going to get more daily active addresses on the network, which is good. Um, and B, you know, they're going to be a buyer in the future because they're going to realize prices are going up. I need to get more of this stuff. Prices are going up. I need to get more of this stuff. And so it just helps the entire network um, really grow and the entire asset class get more liquid and more people using this stuff that is objectively better uh, than a fiat currency. So that's kind of my random tangent right there. No, it's a really good point that you bring up. I mean, we were just talking with uh, Rhett Creighton from 800CC, and he does these Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash giveaways all the time on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And the deal, he says, you know, I'll give you 100 bucks in Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or whatever currency he's using at the time. And he says, it's up to you that you, you keep 50 bucks for yourself and you give the other 50 bucks away to 50 people. Right. Just so you go through the process of, learning how to explain this really quickly, and these 50 people get to actually see it in action. This it's is so The best important. way to explain it is to have people actually use it. And that makes perfect sense to me. So I think the best thing you can do for all your friends and family is get them set up with a wallet, use Trust Wallet, use Crypto.com, use BRD, use Exodus, you know, so whatever it is. There's, there's so many easy-to-use wallets out there now uh, that you don't have to put your ID into. And you just send them a dollar or something. I remember we were talking with Roger Veer in Japan. I mean, he was in Japan. We were talking to him over Zoom and using QR codes through the webcams. He was able to send us Bitcoin cash. Yeah, that was pretty This is cool. the kind of world we're living in now. There's no excuse. I completely agree. Couldn't have said it better. Okay. Let's move on to smoke and mirrors. We're talking about trends in 2020 with all kinds of people right now. And one of the things that scares me the most is these upcoming regulations by this financial action task force, this mysterious group of people from countries that we don't even know. <laughs> and they're governing all the rules about cross-border payments and things. And they're making this rule now that says exchanges have to share KYC data with one another. And it got me thinking, Will crypto be able to retain privacy? This is this is such such a debate. Obviously, like you just said, all the the FATF rulings uh, in regards to the exchanges. But even you know to touch on it briefly on on an even deeper level is at the protocol level, um, because what's going to be happening is people are going to be tying the addresses, your public address, your zero x one two three four five, to your identity and your social security number and any sort of information that you put into an exchange, whether you just put it into one or if you put it into 10, once you put it into one, 
all the other exchanges are going to have it. So it's, 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 it's terrible. I think it's a tragedy and we'll see how it all develops. I'm not really sure like what to think about it right now, but it reminds me a lot of all the anti-encryption debates that were going on in the nineties in the house and the Senate, when there were all sorts of different laws that were saying, you know, people were, um, you know, American regulators were basically trying to treat encrypted web servers and web browsers as a separate class from normal web servers and web browsers and saying that they were military grade encryption that could not be exported internationally. So what do I mean by that? So SSL, for instance, um, your security uh, little green, if you, if you use Google Chrome, it's your, you know, in the top left of your thing, it's a green lock. And that green lock basically says that you're sending, uh, you know, encrypted information around the web and you're receiving encrypted information. So you can't have snoopers uh, and all sorts of stuff like that. Okay. So there was technology that, you know, this was developed a long time ago. And in the nineties, we couldn't export software licenses to other countries, which was a huge market um, because the American regulators feared that if other countries had this sort of technology in their hands, that it could be a threat to national security. Now, you know, fast forward 20 years, almost 30 years, and it's, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous in hindsight because now everybody has this technology and, you know, nobody, it's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And so in the same way that, um, you know, standard encryption that we use today was considered, you know, illegal and military grade, we have similar debates going around, uh, around the, the industry on, you know, privacy focused, uh, cryptocurrencies like Zcash, um, you know, Tezos just implemented, uh, Zcash, uh, technology onto its protocol. We have other things like ring signatures, uh, in Monero. So there's all sorts of, and and also a bunch of, um, privacy features are getting proposed to the, the main Bitcoin core network. So it's really just a tale as old as time that the regulators want to know everything that's happening at all times. They want backdoors and all this kind of stuff just for quote unquote national safety um, at the expense of guys like me and you, people that just want to use it and not have everything, uh, you know, tied to our, you know, identity at at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen is they're going to overregulate these exchanges that are trying to do the right thing that are, not acting in bad faith, and they're going to say, okay, not only do you have to report KYC data, but now you have to report tax data. Mm. And many of these users, unless they're bound to institutions, are going to say to hell with that. And they're going to use these decentralized options. And it's going to be an amazing renaissance for the DeFi movement and for privacy and all these things because the technology is already there. Mm -hmm. The products are already there. They're already usable. We've just traded that in for convenience of going to Binance right now. But eventually people are going to say, hmm, I can either keep control of all my privacy, all my money, the IRS and governments around the world can know nothing about me, or I can put it all out there, pay a ton in taxes, be looked at under a microscope and be treated like a criminal. Which experience do I want? What yeah. these regulators fail to realize is we, they miss the whole spirit of crypto. There is a choice. We have a choice what we use. We don't ever have to give anyone our information. That's why cryptography was invented. 
it's just up to us to use it. It's beautiful. And kind of, kind of to wrap up that, that entire segment here, I think one of the important things to note, just from a purely capitalistic standpoint for, for American regulators, um, if, if it's America's clamping down too tight, and if we clamp down too tight on all these, whether they're privacy-preserving technologies or you know, any sort of decentralized technology, other countries are going to do it. Um, you know, we have a position of power right now, Americans and, uh, you know, the U.S. dollar and the U.S. government has a position of power because, you know, we are number one, essentially. And so we have a lot to lose. But the other countries are going to be really scrappy. They're going to adopt the technology way quicker. They're going to let their citizens, you know, they're going to empower their citizens rather than try and hold them back. And they're going to have more liberal laws. Uh, for all sorts of technology and technology companies will start to incorporate there. Uh, those countries will reap the tax benefits, you know, like how Dublin does um, and all sorts of different stuff like that. Um, it's, it's, it's really not wise. And, you know, this happened in the 90s when with all the anti-encryption laws, people were just like, all right, well, if we can't make what we're making under this you know, jurisdictional structure, then we're going to just go elsewhere. And so we, we lose a lot of uh, a lot of benefits. Um, the U.S. does if we have too strict of laws. So kind of, you know, that's just the last little point I wanted to hit on before we closed out with uh, two, you know, really interesting news items that happened this week, um, kind of beyond what we talked about with YouTube, um, getting all the the crypto videos shut down and like, you know, big influencers. I'm talking like guys like who have 500,000 subscribers on their videos. We're just getting everything just deleted and they were panicking. Um, Google deleted and refused, um, or it deleted MetaMask from its app store. And then did it get back up yet? Do you know? No, they appealed the decision and they were again denied saying that their app, uh, uses deceptive activities and is a mining app. A, crypto mining, there's nothing wrong with it. And B, MetaMask doesn't even do crypto mining or staking, or anything else. So this is an outright direct rejection of crypto. It's, it's really weird because MetaMask is literally just a wallet. Um, you know, that, that it just, it, it's just scary that that could happen. Um, again, another example, prime example of some centralized entity flexing its power um, and, you know, putting lives at risk, essentially. Uh, people who store money in there, even though you could take your private keys and you could go, you know, instantiate them elsewhere. Um, but people, you know, people that work at MetaMask and all sorts of different stuff, like that you can't just shut down. A, I don't know. It just is really crazy. Now, we mentioned Poloniex earlier. And good old Polo. <laughs> Poloniex is one of the oldest exchanges in the US. It was uh, sold to Circle, which then sold it off, spun it out into its own entity which is now pretty much in the control of Justin Sun from Tron. Yeah, seems like it. Who recently acquired it and then blocked all U.S. customers, said to hell with you guys, we don't want to deal with the U.S. at all, and has since begun reshaping this exchange in his own image. <laughs> First, delisting Digibyte and then Factum, you know, for whatever political yeah. reasons he has, we don't know. But uh, again, for political reasons, he's also decided to make the level one accounts 
have no KYC required. So for up to withdrawals of $10,000 per day and unlimited deposits and spot trading, you can now use Poloniex with no KYC other than an email address. That's it. That's bizarre. All the frozen accounts that were unverified and did not, you know, verify themselves when this was put in many, many months ago, he is now unfreezing these accounts and upgrading their accounts to unverified level one so they can come back in and use the exchange. That's really crazy because, I mean, he, he, he bans U.S. customers and then he says, well, we just won't know if you're a U.S. customer or not. Kind of clever, I guess. Super clever. Uh, and it's not the only exchange that does that right now, but as CZ would say, some things are better left unsaid. <laughs> Poloniex has seen a huge rebound in market share. Yes. On the brink of death, it is now hitting just above 2% market share for the first time in several months. Super yeah. interesting. No, I, I've actually been really impressed with uh, how the volume has been growing on that exchange. I mean, because it completely dried up for the last, I mean, really since Binance came on the scene, everybody just left Polo and started using Binance because, you know, also Polo, there was a lot of, you know, how do I say it? Rumors that were spreading around that they were insolvent and that, you know, sometimes they're, I remember going to Polo and trying to withdraw something and it would take, you know, a day. And I just like, what the freaking heck just happened? Like where are the coins and then, you know, oh, sorry, we're slow, manual processing, wallet maintenance, unscheduled this, unscheduled that. So they had, they had really major, major scaling issues that they couldn't deal with. Uh, and, and, you know, they were infamous for having un, unanswered support tickets for so long, but that was just a product of, uh, of massive demand coming in, in the, like, you know, in that spring and summer of 2017, when just their volumes were, went, you know, an order of magnitude, two orders of magnitude overnight, it seemed like. So, yeah. so Bitcoin couldn't fix this, but can yeah. Tron fix this? I don't know. Should be interesting to see. Only time will tell, my man. And I think that does it for uh, this week's episode of The Weekly Fire. I think so. Guys, thank you so much for listening in. And thank you, everyone in the community that reached out to us to wish us a Merry Christmas and tell us how our podcast has impacted your life. Yeah, that was I, really encouraging. Yeah, it really was. It, I think that was the best gift of all. It's just the positive feedback that we got. When we took over this podcast in the middle of this year, uh, we got quite a bit of criticism. We weren't really sure if we were doing the right things or if it even made a difference at all. If the entire Crypto 101 user base was just going to leave right along. But you guys stuck around. You gave us a chance. And um, I just wanted to say thank you to Crypt Nation for embracing us. Absolutely. All right, Crypt Nation. We will see you guys on Monday with a stellar interview. Ciao. Later. Later.